0: of Parramatta Libraries podcast, where we talk about books, libraries, and everything in between. My name is Nessa, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Rachel. Hello. Hey, Rachel. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about a very interesting genre of books. The genre is horror. Mm. Um, Horror, like science fiction, is a genre within the category of speculative fiction, so horror, as you can imagine, explores the dark side of humanity. Um, it's It explores something which frightens the reader, which induces feelings of terror. And it might include blood and guts, but also more often than not, it has these supernatural elements, which I guess terrorise because they are unknown. And I, I think it harkens back to that human thrill that you get by being terrorised, being scared. <laughs> so that's, I think, what makes horror appeal to so many people and also i guess some of these things are a bit terrifying when you set them against the mundane the domestic the contrast itself sort of gives you that sense of dread and i think that's what horror fiction can explore so well uh rachel you are going to introduce us to the four works
1: of horror fiction we're looking at today i am so today we're looking at bird box by author josh malaman published by Harper Voyager in 2014. We're also going to look at its sequel, Mallory, also by Josh Malaman, published by Orion in 2020. Then we'll look at The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix, published by Quirk Books in 2020. Then we're going to get into some classics. So our first classic is Carrie by Stephen King. Uh, published by New English Library in 1974. And our second classic is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, published by Lackington, Hughes, Harding, Mavour, and Jones in 1818. <laughs> that is a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> that is a mouthful. My goodness. <laughs>
0: so, um, so I go first, I You're guess. Uh, Bird Box. Now, I feel like I keep saying this in every single podcast, but I came to Bird Box through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um so it was a movie on Netflix and it had yeah. Sandra Bullock and um I I think I'd heard some mixed things about it, but because it was Sandra Bullock, I'm like, well, I'm sold, I'm just gonna give yeah. this a go. And I, I actually liked it. It was it was interesting, it was different. Um I normally don't watch a lot of horror just because I think it's not because I'm scared, but I, I don't enjoy the whole blood and guts things. So I think it's it's quite simplistic, that's, which that's is why me I'm not as well. interested. <laughs> I'm not a big horror fan, I'll be honest. But. <laughs> But this, I felt this was different. It was interesting because um, the movie just was able to create this sense of dread um, and, like, terrorise you and you get to enjoy that thrill without necessarily, like, it necessarily descending into, like, blood and guts, even though it did include some of that. So uh, with that perspective, I came to the book. And I I wanted to read um, the sequel, actually, Mallory, which was published just in 2020. But I felt that it would... Be much more enjoyable if I read both of the books together. So, Bird Box, um, basically, it is from the perspective of this character called Mallory, and you get to see, um, like, it starts with a lot of action going on, and it starts with this journey that Mallory is taking with um, two children. One called the boy is called boy, and the girl is called girl, <laughs> and she's about to go on a journey with them. Um, and that's where the book starts, and that's where a lot of the action takes place while she's on that journey. And then it goes uh, back and forth in time to about four or five years ago, uh, and it explains, uh, you know, the story of how she went from uh, being a normal young woman to being where she is now. Um, and I love, like, the narrative structure of going back and forth. Sometimes it can be quite annoying because you're trying to keep on top of all the different characters and the changing timelines. But I thought it was actually a really good way of um, – because I do enjoy it when they do that and then it comes really well to joining, like, the two different timelines where they mm. intersect and you get that lovely reward. Yeah. So I thought it did quite well in that regard. And going through it, it's almost – um. It's almost about 200 pages in when you find out what the term bird box refers to. And I I won't go into too much about the story because it is horror and I'll spoil it. Um, But basically something supernatural, I guess you can say, happens in the world um, and That's Because of that, a lot of changes happen in the world. So in some ways, I guess it's sort of post-apocalyptic. Yeah, from the
1: film, it seems a bit like that. Yeah,
0: and the changes that it brings about um, induce this sense of horror because one of the consequences of what's happened is that people um, are not able to see outdoors. or, Or they could, but if they did, there are... Super negative consequences to it. And I think around this whole concept of not being able to ob- observe, but being observed, I think the writer is able to create such a sense of dread, like around each scene where, you know, a character might be going around doing something and they've learnt how to operate outdoors, um, you know, without being able to see or covering their eyes, but all the while, since their senses are now heightened being aware of being observed and that is just it's just so creepy and I I think it it's such a simple thing if you think about it but I I really enjoy how he was able the author to create this whole dread and this sense of horror around just this one thing. Mm-hmm. there's a little bit from the book I wanted to read just to illustrate it um so this is while they're on the journey and they're on a journey the Mallory and the two children on the river. And obviously uh, they have blindfolds on because they cannot see. Um, So where have I got this? Okay. The birds scream and the noise they make is not a song. The girl shrieks. Something hit me, mummy. Something fell. Mallory feels it too. She thinks it's raining. Impossibly the sound of the birds gets louder. They are deafening, screeching. Mallory has to cover her ears. She calls to the children, begging them to do the same. Something lands hard against her bad shoulder and she yelps, wincing in pain. Wildly, her hand grasping her blindfold, she searches the boat for what struck her. The girl shrieks again, Mummy! But Mallory's found it. Between her forefinger and thumb is not a drop of rain, but the broken body of a tiny bird she feels, is delicate. She feels its delicate wing. Mallory knows now. In the sky above, where she is forbidden to look, the, be- the birds are warring. The birds are killing one another. Yeah. So, <laughs> and interestingly enough, this whole concept of the birds, I know it's horrific, like birds mm-hmm. killing each other. And I, another book I was reading um, for mystery fiction, that had something similar as well, like starlings and suicide birds, and it describes the scene with that phenomena. And then, and I'd only read that like a few days after this, and in between those days I'd actually read a news item as well, so I was incredibly creeped out by going, this is following me, this whole concept
1: of birds. (laughs) The horror Um, was getting to you. It was,
0: it was. So that sort of gave me this heightened sense of horror, where this particular thing, like you know where you read something and you see it again? Mm. That's what happened with me and like birds killing each other, so that I think added to that, um... That extra element, but uh, so. But the good, like the book, is really good. It's got a sense of horror. It's got a good structure. It shows this main character, like the evolution from being a scared young woman into a leader, into a survivor, and that whole horror of being observed by not being able to observe. Um, what I also found particularly that added to the horror was this concept of self harm. Again, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler, but. Um, Self-harm is something that comes into the book quite a bit and it's related to the supernatural phenomena and harming yourself is so antithetical to, like, human nature where if um, these characters are doing it to themselves, that just adds to this element of horror. Um, But there is hope as well in the book and then you've got the sequel. The sequel wasn't as well regarded, I guess, Mm -hmm. as the first book. It opens about two years after the first one Um, It starts with a scene of horror, something that is echoed in the bird box. And I think the second book keeps trying to echo back to the first one, Mm. which I guess is normal. It's Mm. a sequel, but I think it kind of does it in a bit of a clumsy way. So like you're harking back to characters from the first one and drawing parallels between a character in in the sequel and the character in the original one. But it feels a bit heavy handed and clumsy. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, but it was interesting in that the second book has the perspective of three different characters. Um, oh. And in the end, it gives sort of a resolution, an explanation for the supernatural phenomena. Well, not an explanation exactly, but mm-hmm. a bit of a resolution. But, yeah, I, I think I would have preferred it if the first one had just, just left, left it, it, it at it, that, where you've ended. got horror, but you've mm-hmm. got a bit of hope. This one, in trying to explain it and trying to resolve it, I just feel takes away from that sense of horror. But yeah. but maybe, maybe that was the intention of the author. Um, but otherwise, look, I would recommend it as if you want to get into horror, something a bit more modern, a bit less – well, it's got blood and guts, but it's not all around that sort of, I don't know, Saw and all those movies that you see yeah. trailers on. <laughs> it just seems all very horrific visually. So, um, yeah, no. I would definitely recommend *Bird Box* and *Mallory* by Josh Malerman as an interesting horror uh, book to get into. Rachel, you are going to do yours
1: next. Yes, so I'm going to talk about *The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires*. Um, so I been, love the title, by the way. Yeah, it's a really. Um, I mean, the title gives away the story, but it's the story still keeps you
0: guessing. Yeah, so and at ju- least. Yeah. And just a side note for the. Um, for the listeners, I was going to read that. <laughs> and Rachel and I both decided to read it at the same time entirely separately, but she beat me to it by reserving it before me. So that was my loss, I guess.
1: <laughs> That's the beauty of reserving books, everyone. Make Indeed. sure you reserve it. Lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so um, I picked this book um, partly because it had vampires in the title and that, for me, kind of links it back to sci-fi and supernatural, which is more my thing. Um so it was a nice way to ease me into the horror genre that, you know, I, I won't watch a horror movie by myself. I'm that type of person. So <laughs> saying that, let's talk about the book. Um, so it was published in 2020 by author Grady Hendrix. Um, it's a short but an easy-to-read horror story. So, yes, it's got the blood and it's got the guts and it's got all the gore and all that sort of stuff, but it's easy to read. Um If you're like me and not a horror person, I don't recommend reading it before going to bed. (laughs) Um, It does give you some strange dreams and nightmares. Um, But, yeah, um, I I have enjoyed it. Um, As quoted by author Paul Tremblay, uh, who wrote A Head Full of Ghosts, it's genuinely creepy and disturbing. Grady recreates a time and place without the dangerous distortive lens of nostalgia. So this book is um, set in the 90s. So it's, um, you know, a world before social media and internet were a big thing. You still had landlines. You were still actually going to people's houses and socialising in person. Um, it wasn't all this online stuff that we do now. Um, this book has been described as fried green tomatoes and still make magnolias meet Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. And when you read it, yeah, it makes sense. You're like, okay, yeah, that really is what it is. Um, it's a southern-flavored flare of horror set in the 90s where a group of women who are part of a book club find themselves protecting their suburban community from a vampire who is new to town. So as obvious from the title of the book, it's about vampires, but it's not the kind of vampire you find in, like, Twilight or Vampire Diaries. They're not, like, trying to romance you or anything like that. Um, these are the blood and gore kind. Uh, they lure you in and spit you out, literally. Um, it follows all the rules we've come to know about vampire lore. The sun is harmful, uh, need an invitation to enter your residence, they're bloodthirsty, etc. Um, but it's subtle and explained away as like medical condition, conditions or like just good manners. Um, so even though, like, as the reader, you're looking out for these kind of clues as to Where the vampire is in the story, so you know what they're what the author's really saying. But um, from the character's perspective, they're just they're in real life, like in our real life. There's no vampires, so they're thinking exactly the same thing. Um, Also, obvious from the title, it's a book that is set in Southern America, um, a region of the United States that is known for being conservative, with strong church ties and land ownership. Um, These are big themes in the book. Um, As I said, it's in the early 90s, so it lends itself towards predominantly white characters where women are housewives with distanced husbands and ungrateful children in nice, well-maintained houses. The book club is their means of escape. Uh, People of colour aren't the pivotal characters um, and are often written as uh, working in a service role. Although Mrs. Green, who looks after the main character's mother-in-law, does get a bit of action in some instances, um, the characters, uh, those characters, also live in rundown areas where people worry about crime and suspicious disappear- disappearances and deaths um, are written off as drug or gang-related. Um, whereas if they happened in the suburban area that the story predominantly takes place, they'd be taken a bit more seriously. Um, so that parallel is drawn there. Um, for a book written so recently, it does make you cringe a little bit, not like reading those kind of storylines, but then you think, wait, no, it's set in the 90s. Mm-hmm. That was 30 years ago. It doesn't seem that long, but 30 years ago actually was like so a lifetime we, ago, really. It's,
0: it's weird when you're saying the 90s was 30 years <laughs> ago, ago. I know.
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to think about it being 30 years ago. It <laughs> makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so you just got to keep that in mind, like our views and perceptions have changed a lot in those 30 years. Um, so the book is aiming for historical accuracy, but, um, ironic that's got some vampires in it, but whatever. (laughs) Um, yeah, so there's also a bit of sexism and racism. So just be aware of that. Um, I did see an online comment that asked, why is it always the people of color that are murdered? Hmm. So... Yeah, just just so you know, um, these are all things to keep in mind when reading the book. But back to the story. The story follows a typical horror layout. Um, It sets a scene of a nice little quiet town with innocent everyday characters that welcome a stranger into their home. Obviously, for the reader, that's an immediate alarm bell. Stranger in fiction equals bad. Um, So reading the story, knowing a vampire is going to appear somewhere, you see the little cues um, just like you would watching a horror film. So the... You know, no one answers the door in the day. They don't want to go outside in the sun, things like that. Um, they're classic vampire traits. It's, it's kind of like, as you're reading, it's like watching, like, scream or something like that, and the woman, like, runs up the stairs and you're like, what are you doing that for? Like, you're just going to get trapped. Like, but um, so, yeah, so you, you kind of want to yell at the book, like, what are your characters doing? Just, it's obvious. It's right in front of you. Um, But saying that is also not that predictable. Um, It doesn't sugarcoat the gory bits. Uh, There are moments where you're utterly shocked and disgusted. Um, So the cockroach scene, for example, I'm not even going to go into it. Okay. (laughs) You can discover it for yourself. Um, And there's like some rats and it's very graphic uh, Mm -hmm. writing. Um, So when the horror comes, it's there. Um, So if you want horror, it is in there. It's obviously not in the beginning of the book. You have to wait towards the middle and the end, but um, it's in there. So I also wanted to say that it's interesting um, with this book that, it links fiction to reality through the book club. So it makes um, – so when Patricia, the main character, starts to piece together the clues and realizes something's going on, um, all the others in the book club just tell her she's being – like it's an imagination running wild after reading the um, crime stories they're reading in their current book club. Mm. So I did like that. Um, but, yeah, I would say you either love it or you hate this book. Okay. Um <laughs> So, I'm, like, it was a good transition for me, um, being not really horror, horror, but it's it's got that supernatural element, so it, it was enough to keep me intrigued and mm. enough to get me past the gore and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I can't guarantee whether you're going to love it or hate it. <laughs> that's, that's good, isn't it, when it has
0: those, like... Like, it, it falls within a few different genres and it's, mm. like you said, a good, like, sort of transitional thing if yes. you are if you don't want to go and, like, I guess – I don't think there's anything such as, like, pure horror, but mm. for lack of a better term, something like that is good f- to help you get into something else and yeah. discover it. But um, do you think the fact that we know so much about v- vampires – I mean, they're not real, but, you mm. know, there's so much written about vampires that it kind of spoils it because you can see certain traits or – does the author just assume that you would
1: know something about vampires? I think the author assumes you would know something mm. about vampires. Um, it does put a twist on it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to even go into that because that will just completely ruin it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, you see that, oh, yeah, This you know who the vampire is going to be. Just, okay. You just know, and you're like, right, so how is this going to play out? And mm. that's the interesting part of the book. Nice. And see, yeah. we couldn't have had a horror like – um
0: podcast without having something to do with vampires so that was (laughs) that hit that mark very well it's interesting what you said that thing about racism and sexism and said in the 90s because Mm. my one is Carrie the very famous book Carrie by Stephen King the version I've got my copy actually is from 1976 and I got Mm. this from St Vinnie's oh gosh probably about 17 years ago. So it's a very brown book. And I think that actually helped me get into the whole horror thing. I'm looking at your book right now. It does look horrifying. It's it's pretty old. So I think that really helped. Um, And the story of Carrie, I mean, it's such a familiar one. But basically, it is about a young girl. It involves um, a girl who is an outcast in society. Um, There is a prom a famous mm-hmm. prom scene, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of destruction, um, there are a lot of supernatural, um, there's supernatural phenomena, there's religious fundamentalism, there's teenage angst and teenage sexuality, there's a lot of guilt, there's this whole ugly duckling to swan transformation. Um, it's this thing about basically, in some ways you can describe it, I think one of the lines from the book was something about how it's a fairy tale gone wrong basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's basically what the story is. And it's it's interesting, the character, Carrie, who's the main character, she's described as having like a bovine expression. She's hunched over. She's squat. She's got acne on her back, limp hair. She makes animal-type noises. She's constantly bullied. And one character describes feeling a mix of pity and disgust when she sees Carrie and it's almost, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but when I read it, that's kind of what I felt as well. Like you, Mm -hmm. you have this character, like if you were to describe a character in such a, like such pathetic characteristics, you would feel like naturally you would think, oh, I would feel sorry for that and I would feel Mm -hmm. so bad. But with Carrie, the way she's shown, she's drawn is in such a way that you you empathise with the character – not empathise, but you sort of recognise that mixed feeling you have towards a character like that mm. when you would hope that you would have finer feelings, like, you yeah. know. So that's – that's I found that really interesting about myself, like, having – like, reading that. Um, and then obviously, like, as you go towards – when you read the book and you learn more and more about her, her in a dialogue, her life, what she's going through, you – all the, the sort of negative feelings, the feelings of disgust that sort of falls by the wayside – but the beginning, how she's drawn, that's your first gut reaction. And I think that's a test. I think that's a testament to the, the skill of the author, right? In making you feel something like that that mm. you shouldn't be feeling. Yeah. So I have to give like <laughs> Stephen King credit for that. Or, or maybe it's me. <laughs> but that's another thing. Um you know, it's um the way it's portrayed, like the structure of the, the book, it's um. It's after the effects after the events have happened, oh. so the it's not like a straight up narrative structure. What it is is a mix of excerpts from articles in science journal in science journals, excerpts from uh, a book someone has w- written, someone who was a, a witness to all of the events. Um, it's excerpts from news articles, and then you've got a bit of narrative in there as well. So it's quite an interesting structure as well. It's a small book. I mean, mm-hmm. Rachel can see it right now. It's yep. not very big at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you can easily read it in one setting. Because it was written in 19, the 1970s, it is one of those ones where you you cringe at certain mm. sexist and racist um, bits in it. One thing I don't get, like, there's a – I'll read this quote um, – the girls had been playing volleyball, vo- volleyball in period one and their morning sweat was light and eager. Now, this is what I don't get. I think I read this years ago. It was either Babysitter's Club or <laughs> Sweet Valley Hype back in the day when I used to read that. And they, descri- they said there was a line that said, um, girls don't sweat, they glow. Right. And that always struck with me. And when I read this, I was like describing like morning sweat as light and eager. I, I don't, I don't, under, what I find interesting is I don't understand why um, something, sweat is sweat, whether it's yeah. female sweat or it's male not, sweat, it's human sweat, it's but not, trying to portray like a female one as something other or different from how you would describe it, like mm-hmm. no one would describe male sweat as that. No, no. So either. I just found that quite interesting. So
1: yeah, but they, they can explain female sweat like that, but they can't exactly male as it it's, 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 it's It's
0: quite, it's, it's quite interesting. And I think... I feel like that would be – I don't know if it's got something to do with the fact that it's a male writer who would only write hey, it that really. way. So. I'm sorry, but when I swear, it doesn't feel pretty.
1: It feels gross.
0: <laughs> so uh, Yeah, I, I think it's that sort of a – like I think we'd be more realistic now, but that's quite interesting that that's how they would portray, like, as though females don't have normal bodily functions, <laughs> right? The racism in there is a bit tricky. So mm-hmm. the N-word is used a few times, which made me quite uncomfortable because mm-hmm. – It's not used in, I don't think he's meant to use it in a derogatory way, as in calling someone that, because, but it's used rather in a kind of casual way. So um, there's a character who's making a racist statement and he uses the word. Mm -hmm. Okay, I sort of understand why he would use it in that context. Mm. But in another context, he uses it to describe a physical characteristic of someone and then uses Mm. the N-word in that context. Mm. And I think that was not really needed. So... That's not something that I thought should have been there, regardless of the time. Um, And interestingly, I don't think there are any black characters that I could recognise from how... Like, you don't have to emphasise everyone's physical characteristics when you're writing a character. But most characters, when they were described, they would be described in um, a way that made it obvious that they were from an Anglo-Saxon background or maybe of European extraction. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of um, a reference to someone... Um, not voting for someone as prom queen because she was Jewish. So there's that anti-Semitism there. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, there are no, as far as I remember, no characters that are acknowledged as being black. So it's interesting you don't have that, yet you will Mm. use the N-word to draw. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that that, that wasn't needed. Mm. I will say, though, Stephen King, from what I understand, is very much – Um, at the forefront of being against um, you know in in political campaigns and whatever he does like being quite an activist when it comes to from what I understand I could be wrong um, against racism so Mm -hmm. it's got there's no I'm not maligning his character or anything like that but I think for the time, they're a it's little just... bit too comfortable with using language that I definitely don't think they would use today. Yeah, if it was um, written today, it'd probably be a oh bit yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. And there's also another interesting thing, and this is something for the time as well, casual violence. There's a lot of slapping going on. Right. <laughs> Which, again, if I had read this at the time, I don't think, not that I existed at the time, but if I was reading that when it was first published, it wouldn't have struck me, I guess, you know, um, as odd, yeah. But you know, there are lots of scenes of like people going to hysterics and the teacher slapping them. So and so, you know, having a fight with her boyfriend and the boyfriend slaps her. There's a mm-hmm. lot of slapping, <laughs> which they don't do that anymore. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's 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 not quite as <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, that's that's just an odd thing that I quite know. I like I noticed in that. But um, look, I have to say, uh, Carrie is a book I really really enjoyed. I would definitely recommend it. It's a classic for a reason. Stephen King, I mean, he's called the the King of Horror. Um, Carrie was his first book to be published, not the first book he wrote, but his first book to be published. And it really put him on the map. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's got so many books that have been adapted and that we know of, like, uh, you know, The Shining, Green Mile, Under the Dome, Shawshank Redemption, or rather Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, Mr. Mercedes uh, trilogy. And this, um, this particular book, which has been uh, made into like one movie with Sissy Spacek, uh, Spacek closer to in the seventies, and then one with Chloe Grace Moretz a few years ago, mm. so it's 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 classic horror. It's good, mm. despite the slightly uncomfortable um, <laughs> aspects I've just mentioned here. It's it's a good story. It does that whole thing where you're filled with dread, filled with horror, um, and you just really enjoy the yeah. tale. So, Carrie, everyone. Go
1: out and read it if you haven't done that yet. I haven't done it. I've always been too scared to read Stephen King. I I know he's an awesome author, but I'm just like, I don't know. I will (laughs) lend you my copy. (laughs) Okay, next on to the last book. Uh, Last book we have is Frankenstein, which is uh, definitely a classic. I remember reading this in high school for my HSC and writing about it in my final English exam. So Um, it's... Uh, Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, it's been known as, um, written by English author Mary Shelley um, and published originally anonymously in 1818 at the age of 20 and then re-released with her name in 1821. Um, As a writer, she was inspired by her parents. Her parents were both writers. Um, And then she wrote the book after travelling to Germany and Geneva and Switzerland, where much of the story of Frankenstein takes place. So um, it's a classic horror story of a scientist who created life and then was horrified by what he made. Um, So many people uh, do think that Frankenstein's name with the creature or the monster when it's actually the name of the scientist. So I just wanted to remind people of that in case you weren't sure. Um, While Frankenstein does fall into the horror genre, it could also be argued that it's the first true science fiction novel. So when you think about it, a, science conduct- a scientist conducting experiments, bringing a course back to life, yeah, it does sound pretty science fiction to me. Hmm. Um, now, so this is a classic, so I don't think I'm going to give away any spoilers. I'm sure everyone is very familiar with the story <laughs> of Frankenstein. Um, the original story does begin with a ship captain writing a series of letters to his sister about the progress of a dangerous mission to the North Pole when he encounters the scientist Victor Frankenstein who has been out traveling on the ice and he becomes ill. Um, While the ship captain tries to nurse him back to health, we learn of the story of the monster of Frankenstein created and the chaos that ensued. Uh, Frankenstein tells the story of how he brought to life a creature fashioned together out of old body parts, but is horrified by the sight when it comes to life and so it runs away. The monster, abandoned, is left to fend for himself. Victor's brother is then murdered and an innocent girl is executed for the crime but Victor correctly suspects his monster responsible and grows despondent with guilt and responsibility. Victor is then approached by the creature and his fears and confirmed. However, the monster admits to feeling lonely and shunned and so guilts the scientist into making him a companion. But Victor can't go through with it and dumps the remains of the second creature shortly after, which enrages the monster, who then seeks revenge by killing Victor's friend and then threatens to be present on Victor's wedding day. Fearing danger, he sends his bride away for her safety, not realising it was Victor's intended the monster meant to harm, not Victor himself. So the story catches up to present with Victor tracking the monster over the ice to the North Pole where he is discovered by the ship captain and close to death. Upon Victor's death, the monster declares that he too can end his suffering and departs to die. So I feel the prominent theme in this book, so the reason why I, I actually explained the book was the prominent theme is alienation. Mm-hmm. Um, a quote from the creature um, is, My protectors had departed and had broken the only link that had held me to the world. For the first time, the feelings of revenge and hatred filled my bosom. The feeling rejected and alienated from society is a powerful feeling and has led many people, like such as like, serial killers and that, to do horrible things. Um, it's a primary cause of evil and also the punishment for it. So these are all like clearly horror um, aspects. Um, the monster commits murders and has, and as a result, further alienates himself from society. He just wants a family and to be accepted. Um, so this book also is about family and family relationships um, being central to human life. Another quote: "I was dependent on no one and." related to no one, to none. This quote from the book also um, that the creature says shows he blames his suffering on the fact that he has no family. So being abandoned by his creator means isolating, alienation. Um, I actually don't want to imagine how that would feel. I think that would be horrible. And I don't want to say I can understand why he went and murdered people, but you kind of can. But do you think like
0: knowing by knowing his motives, do you think that takes away from the horror element? Like, because, you know, it's, mm. it's easier to, like, to, like, really hate and be scared of someone if you don't know their motives, right? But as yeah. soon as you get to know their
1: motives, mm. you, I guess, humanise them and if we were a little bit yeah. like, scared of them. There's a lot of humanization of the creature in this book. Mm. Um. So, yeah, so maybe it's not, cla- like, horror as we know it today, yeah. but it's horror from... Yeah. 1800s. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess the idea of, like, creating
0: life would have been more unnatural then, right? That's mm. why it would have evoked possibly more horror. Did you yeah. ever watch the movie uh, Mary Shelley, the one with Elle Fanning in it? No, I haven't seen that one. I would for the listeners and you as well. Yeah. I'd recommend watching it because um, that talks about... I don't think it did that well at the um, in terms of, like, being critically regarded, but I did think it was a good movie because... Um, it shows her as Mary Shelley mm. and the process of writing Frankenstein and the events that lead to it. I'm sure there's a lot of creative license taken, mm. but it's quite interesting to see that, like, thought process and, like, what happens yeah. and, like. Um, so definitely I'd, I'd recommend that movie for
1: anyone um, who's also interested. Yeah, because yeah. it's like a um, the original, the book is, like, graphic, not, not a gothic novel and romanticism. Yeah. But with horror. And she was so young when she wrote it. She was she started writing it when she was eighteen. That is amazing.
0: And I think I read like, somewhere that people didn't believe that she wrote it when mm. she first published it. Yeah. Gosh, that's well. I guess it's not as bad as it is back then. Yeah, we cannot be I grateful suppose, that.
1: Yeah, in the eighteen hundreds, not many women were writers either. That is true. So, but um, yeah, I was, like it's a it's a book that's been adapted multiple times. In, in text, in film, in all sorts of ways. I think the image that ever comes to everyone's mind is the Frankenstein monster from James Wales Frankenstein in 1931, um, you know, with the big forehead and the yes. bolts in the neck. But, like, when you read the book, I don't imagine Frankenstein that way. Mm-hmm. I imagine him, like, with lots of stitches and scars and everything from all these mismatched body parts being stuck together. So um, I don't know if you've seen Penny Dreadful I've heard of it but I haven't watched it. Yeah, so um there's a subplot of Frankenstein and his monster. And I think that Frankenstein monster mm. is more like the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein monster. Interesting. That yeah. actually
0: remi- I think that also reminds me of an episode of Buffy as well where they do like create someone create like recreates his dead brother and like then he wants a mate as well. And mm. and that just how you're describing it right now for me sort of evokes a memory of watching that as well. So it obviously has had such a lasting impact on
1: so many different, like, shows and, like, literary works and whatnot. still now, like, there's still, there's, like, Netflix series, the Frankenstein Chronicles, and there's all sorts of Frankenstein-inspired movies and shows and other texts. Wow. And that's amazing for something that was written so long ago. So the last
0: question, uh, do you feel like you will be delving more into this genre or not?
1: I think I will. Nice. I do want to try and read a Stephen King. Yes. Um just having to decided. I might read Under the Dome since I've watched this the show. <laughs> and I kinda know what's happening and won't be as scared. Um, I'm a bit of a wuss sometimes. <laughs> it's always good to
0: challenge yourself and i'm so glad you were able to do that for this particular (laughs) episode thank you very much rachel um for the listeners if you would like to know where to download our episodes of this podcast you can find us on Podbean. you can find us uh via google play and apple podcasts uh under para pods we've also got another podcast channel uh rather show that we introduced a few months ago it's called paracald so that's p-a-r-r-a-c-a-l-d and that stands for culturally and linguistically diverse and as you can imagine it focuses on content that is in a language other than english hmm. uh so subscribe uh to one or the other or both <laughs> and we'll talk to you next time with another episode we'll see you bye bye, bye.